Ah, so welcome to church. Uh, before we begin, I wanted to uh, just quickly invite you, uh, those of you who are part of Exhort or, or are thinking about it, all the, the men in the place and anyone else who's part of uh, the, the church who you know might be interested, um, to my house on Friday. Kevin and Jamie are the leaders of Exhort, our men's ministry, and we've arranged for a bonfire. So this Friday at 8.30, we'd love to have you come over to our house, Megan and I, so hopefully we'll see you there. Um, which is kind of appropriate given the, the sermon today. I was realizing, oh, it kind of fits uh, kind of interestingly in there. So, The house was relatively quiet as the slaves put the final touches on, making sure there was seating in the courtyard. The church was slowly gathering and making their way into the larger space. The master of the house, the pastor of the church, looked on with a glowing smile. This little congregation had come a long way since the first day that he gave his life to Christ. He thought back to that day when the Apostle Paul told him the good news of Jesus Christ right here in this very courtyard. His life had changed forever. He went from being an unhappy man to a spirit-filled man. He went from being a stingy, angry master to a loving, peaceful pastor. Of course, he still maintained his mercantile business. His wealth had actually grown more in these years. But not for lack of trying. Throughout the city of Colossae, he'd put much money into outreach. The poor had been fed, the naked were clothed, and the sick were brought medicine. He had done a lot of work, actually, on his own house, refurbishing rooms so he could house the growing number of Christians that would come to meet in his house every Sunday. But today, even those rooms would not be enough. Today... There were people who were coming from all over the city, not just from his house church. Today, Philemon was expecting visitors. Not just any visitors, envoys, ambassadors from the Apostle Paul himself. He and his wife, Apphia, couldn't be happier. His son, Archippus, was overseeing the setup process in the courtyard with a, a certain glint in his eyes as well. At last, his father was getting some recognition for his service to the Lord. They had heard that this group was coming from Paul and they were carrying a letter from Colossae. It had been read last week at another house church and it brought the house down. And now that church even was coming back for another reading at Philemon's house. Not only that, the leader of the party, Tychius, had let a few of the people know that he was actually carrying a letter from Paul written to Philemon himself. Unheard of. Perhaps apostles wandering like Timothy or Titus might have gotten a letter from Paul, but this was unheard of. Philemon was getting a personal letter. And so the musicians started playing. The people were singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. 
And I love the throng approached men who had obviously spent some time recently in Rome. As the worship ended, Philemon took the dais and he boomed, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm happy to welcome you today to our humble home. Our congregation welcomes new visitors, especially those who come from the Apostle Paul himself. At this, Tychius mounted up the stage, embraced Philemon, and addressed the crowd, greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Apostle Paul sends his blessings and prayers and his warm wishes. I have in my possession two letters that he would have you read, Philemon. But at first, I want to introduce you to my traveling party. Well, Philemon's eyes start scanning the party. This ragtag group, as their names were being called out, but he didn't hear anything once he locked in on the one face. He knew that face. He knew those sandals. He had bought those sandals himself. It was, it was Onesimus. Just as that name rang out from Tychius's lips, Archippus shouted, Slaves, grab him! The slaves were only too happy. This was the man who had made their lives more difficult. This was the man that made Philemon not trust them. This was the man who had stolen from the Lord of the house. This used to be their colleague, Onesimus, the runaway slave, who traded their master's kindness for rudeness. As all runaway slaves of the empire knew, a price was on his head, and he would probably end up dead. Philemon's strong voice cracked, What? Why is this slave of mine amongst you? Is he a gift from the apostle? Is he returning to me, my stolen property? Of a sort, said Tychius. Onesimus is one of us. He is an apostolic delegate. What? How, how dare you? At this, Onesimus couldn't contain himself. Master, I am one of you. Please. Paul's made it clear in his letter to you. And he grabbed the letter out of the hands of Tychius and went to read it. Philemon's blood drained and curdled at the same time. Enough, said Philemon. This is my house and this is my pulpit. I shall read aloud the words of my friend and my mentor, the Apostle Paul. And with that, he grabbed the letter. He began to read it, gaining confidence as he started on the first lines. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all of his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I pray that your partnership with us and faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of your people. That this fleeman was gleaming. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and I could order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man now, also a prisoner in Jesus Christ, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but it would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated for you for a little while was that so you could have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, and I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. As the letter dropped from Philemon's hands, he signaled to his son to begin the music. It was time for worship and the Lord's Supper. And the pastor of the people the master of some of the people, ran into his domicile, feeling like an imbecile. Today we begin a new series called One Hit Wonders. We're looking at those single chapters in the Bible where it might be short and small, but there's a lot of power packed into it. We're reading from Philemon today, and Philemon is Paul's shortest letter, it's only 335 words, but it's one of the most powerful letters in terms of its impact on the world, especially on our social structures. It's so important to Western history because it plays a part in the emancipation movement in North America and in England. It helped the church start to recognize that slavery was not acceptable. 
you start to look at it and you start to observe what was happening in this letter, I want to point a few things out to you. The first one is the use of the family language, which Cole was talking about today, actually. We're a family. Notice how he uses the word brother, both for Philemon and for Anestimus. He also speaks as being a father of sorts to Anestimus and to Philemon, how he was there and helped him grow in his faith. He uses the word co-laborer, which is interesting because it's this idea of the working hard alongside each other. But it's kind of showing in that language that Philemon and Paul are also slaves. They're slaves to Christ. And so he starts to set this language in place and he starts to use his language and you start to notice other things. He doesn't use his apostolic power. He says, I could order you, but I want to approach this as a friend. I want to approach this as a brother in Christ. I'm part of your family. Legally in, in the Roman Empire, actually, uh, a friend of a master, a friend of a household owner, could step in and speak on behalf of a slave. So technically, Onesimus could actually use this letter legally in a court of law. But Paul doesn't actually use any of this authority or his ordering, because what he wants to do, he says to, to Philemon, you know Jesus because of me. I'm your father in the faith. Not only that, he's one of the 11 people left on the planet who has personally received from Jesus Christ an apostolic delegation. You are one of my apostles. You are one of the people who are chosen by me personally to be sent out to the Gentiles, especially for Paul. Not only that, Paul's letters had already started being used like scripture in the churches. We see this in, in, the, in a letter that Peter writes saying, this is scripture. And so when Paul writes a letter, it's a big deal. It's important. If anyone could just say to Philemon, hey, take your slave back and free him, it was Paul. But Paul relinquishes his rights to do that. And that's an important point in this, this idea of our rights under Jesus. This good master had been wronged by his slave, Onesimus. His name actually means useful. That's why he uses that, that, that play on words there. Onesimus means useful. He's like, I know he was useless. But now, he truly is useful. Philemon's ministry had been hurt amongst his wealthy homeowners that he had friends with because they started thinking, ah, you know, this Jesus makes you soft. Christianity is bad for business. Now, slavery isn't the same thing in the Roman days as it, is, uh, it was a couple centuries ago in North America. So be very careful. That. Slavery was not race-based. It wasn't based on, on the color of someone's skin or that thing. It was based upon either you were a prisoner of war or you had a debt of some sort to someone. So you kind of had this working debt. It's actually really interesting. In Rome, in Italy, uh, slaves from England, the Anglos, were really valued because they looked like angels. With the, their white skin, they were like, oh, these are really weird-looking slaves. Now, Paul's very interesting when it comes to slavery. He never, ever says outright slavery is condemned, but he keeps pushing on against it. 
Time and time again, he warns Christians, never sell yourself into slavery. Never. He, he has the word kidnappers in the list of the people who are going to be punished. Kidnappers who stole people into slavery were wicked. Paul tells slaves, hey, if you can do it, buy yourself out of slavery. Slavery is not a good thing in Paul's eyes. But he tells slaves, hey, obey your masters. And his letter to Colossians says to the masters, well, you need to be kind to your slave. But here's the one place in scripture where we have him pushing the hardest. He says to someone, hey, your slave is your brother. Treat him like that. For the Paul, the, the spreading of the gospel was the most important thing. The good news of the gospel, that was where freedom came from. That's where emancipation would start. And so he knew Philemon uh, could have accepted or rejected this. He could even execute an estimate if he wanted to. He had the right. He was wronged. But the Apostle Paul is not about rights. The Apostle Paul is about Christ. I think Paul teaches us something. He says, let go of your rights. I have the right as an apostle to command you. I'm going to let go of that right. You have the right to execute an estimate. Let go of that right. Not only our rights, but our obsession with our own well-being comes into question. And I, I was thinking about this. I don't even have it in my script. I, I, I've been thinking about what's been happening yesterday in Charlottesville with white nationalists marching with their torches and and, and if you really think about what, a lot of what's going on there is they feel like they've been wronged. They think, we deserve our own country. What about us? We're, 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 we're losing our, our status. And this sense of hurt, this sense of, we, 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 have the, we should have our own, we have the right to our own country, is actually leading to such evil actions. It's condemnable. But I ask myself, like, what, what do we do? I've been seeing like you know, I see a lot of like talk about it. This is a condemnation of it, but I wonder like as Christians, how do we actually work through this? As a, as a white Christian who has friends of many different ethnicities, I wonder sometimes like do we actually talk about this with our friends? Do we actually hear what does it feel like when you see that on the news? Do we actually talk about this? Have you ever asked a friend like, hey, explain to me? I, just, I think as Christians, we got to talk about this stuff a little bit more. We're in a, in a congregation with so many different nations and nationalities coming into our country. And it's a beautiful thing, and that's what Christ is all about. But I wonder, like, do, we, do, we, do we ever do anything about this? Or we just kind of, oh, that's bad. And like, How do we actually change that? And I think the letter from Philemon, by saying we are brothers and sisters in Christ, let's hear each other, let's talk about this, something's got to change. This is ugly and and evil, but we can't just, we can't just stop at saying that. Now, I don't have the, the answers. That's what, I, that's what I realize. I need to, to hear. I need to listen. The word is used a couple of times in Scripture here. It's koinonia. It's translated partnership. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective. So if you consider me a partner... Welcome him as you welcome me. This idea of partnership is the core of the gospel. 
that somehow we come together as partners to, to share Jesus, his love, his message, his goodness, his radical good news that changes the world. Partnership means that we are all equal in Christ. We're partners. Onesimus is your partner. You're not above him. Even if society says you're owner and he's slave. No. Jesus says you're all equal. And this is the beautiful thing where you start seeing the seeds of change. This is a letter that would be clung to by all sides who are trying to fight for freedom against slavery and the oppression of slavery. This letter changed the world, or at least it changed North America. It changes things. Call him your brother. Don't just call him your brother. Treat him like a brother. Love him like a brother. This one-hit wonder changed the world. So what does it say to us today? I've been really reflecting on this. So a number of things. There's so much things that we can pull out, so I'm just going to tease a few out today. First of all, how does your love for Jesus cause you to treat your brother or sister in Christ differently? How, do you, how, how does that actually change you? How do you treat people differently because you love Jesus? Or is it kind of just a sticker that we put onto our the bumper of our faith, and so, oh, Jesus, how does that actually practically change the way you look at people, how you, how you touch people, how you talk to people, how you think about people? What is forgiveness and reconciliation like? You see, Paul is brokering forgiveness and reconciliation. I, I, when, you, when you read this, you actually feel like Paul himself is, is trying to be like Jesus. Jesus bridged the gap between God and us. He was the reconciliation between these two parties where we turn our back on God. And now Paul's trying to do the same thing personally with Onesimus and Philemon. Like, are we agents of reconciliation? Do we need that reconciliation? Is there, are there people in our heart where we feel like we've been wronged by a brother or sister? So I just ask this thing, check our heart. Do you feel that in your heart? Do you, is there any animosity brewing? How do you, how do you deal with that? Another thing I'm learning is that we need to have difficult conversations. Peacemaking doesn't mean avoidance. And I gotta, I gotta admit, personally, that's been something that I'm learning right now. It's not an easy thing to, to be able to, to actually talk about the, the differences, bring them up, and, and deal with them, not avoiding them, because avoiding them just ends up causing more stress and more problem. So is there a difficult conversation that you need to have? There's somewhere where you need to be able to speak up and say, I need, I need you to think about this. Paul is not avoiding. It would have been easy, I think, as Apostle Paul, just kept Onesimus, he said it. I could have just kept Onesimus with me, working the gospel where I was. But it was more important that the gospel actually changes relationships with people. That's a hard Listen, I, and I know how hard it is, and I know it takes time, and I know it's not easy, and I know how much it irks you, and I, I'm just speaking from my own personal experience. This is something, though, that God is calling us to. Remembering that the church is a partnership can help 
go a long way. It basically says we need each other. Onesimus and Philemon, you need each other. I know there's something between you right now, but do you understand that in the name of Jesus, reconciliation between you, that will change your lives. That will change who you are and what you do. So I, this is one thing I, I, I'm trying to make sure I keep in my head all the time. Hoping that God will do a work in the hearts of people that, that I have difficulties with. And I hope that they pray the same thing for me. If we pray for each other really like this, and say, hey, like, let's, let's pray through this, and, and we know that there's a God who's above us all, and, and, and he can move our hearts and change the parts of our hearts that need to be changed. That's what it looks like. They say, I always say it takes two to tangle, right? It's not, it's not just their hearts. Like pray that your heart gets changed as well. That God can work through this. Another thing I think is speaking up on behalf of a brother. Paul spoke up, like, hey, wait a second. Be able to, to step in and, and be an agent of reconciliation. Are, are we actually peacemakers in that sense? Are we peacemakers in the sense of, like, hands off? We need to make sure we keep looking for the radical implications of the gospel in our lives, in our church, in our community. It's there. It's real. It's going to take time. It's, it's not easy. But we can't fall into hatred because that hatred starts to trap us, right? Or, or even anger or just like just frustration. These things trap us. And, and Christ is about freedom. That's what this, this is all about. This gospel says we need freedom. And Jesus is the author of that freedom. Slaves are free. And we're free from our fears, from our prejudice. We can be freed from our hurts, our longings, all these things that kind of capture us. God wants to free us. And then he makes this final, I love this final line. He makes this observation from Philemon, to, to Philemon. He says, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. It's a great statement there. There's a trust, there's a hope. There's a belief that God is working in the lives of both these men. And he says, I, I bet you that line kind of haunted Philemon in, in the kind of story I'm running around it today. This idea, I bet you when he ran into that, that, this room, he's like, it's haunting him. You'll do even more than I ask. It just sits there. And it sits on my heart too, thinking like, we need to do more than just the bare minimum as Christians. It's so easy to kind of just coast, isn't it? It's so easy. I say that for myself as well. It's like, oh, no, i got to step it up. This is, this is serious business. This is God business. He doesn't want us to take it as, like, routine. This is another job. Or, like, you need to step it up. So I hear being said to me through this letter, doing even more than what's asked. It's a powerful letter. I love that Paul says to him, hey, by the way, Get a spare room ready for me. I want to come visit you. That must have made Philemon feel like, oh, okay. Like, you still love me, Paul. I'm going to get to have you in my house. This is a special thing. So I feel like Philemon hearing this is, is probably so many mixes of emotions as he's coming through it all. A runaway slave can be accepted back, despite the wrong he did. An angry master, a hurt wrong person can actually let go of that bitterness and pain and, and forgive. 
And this is all done I, with, with a gentle request. If you read it, like Paul's being really cagey. And he's just like saying it so nicely. No heavy-handed tact. It's just like this gentle prodding from a former godly Pharisee. And so Philemon rose to his feet embarrassingly. As worship ended, Philemon stormed out of the house again. He mounted the dais. His booming voice echoes once again throughout the courtyard. Onesimus, Onesimus, get up here. The slave turned apostle assistant rose hesitatingly. As he approaches the stage, Philemon spoke clearly. At this moment, I'm not speaking as pastor of this church. I'm speaking as master of this house. Onesimus, you have hurt me deeply. You cost me much in wages. You stole a great sum from me. What's more, your departure did significant damage to my own reputation and my witness amongst the fellow landowners in the city. They mock me for not being in control of my servants. They say that Christianity is making me a bad businessman. You were my property, and you treated me improperly. You mistreated my kindness. But now I see that it wasn't just you, but I was in blindness. My master is Jesus Christ. I owe him my life. And how many times have I run away from him? Even in this hatred that I store in my heart towards you, my slave, I was disobedient. I was ungrateful for my freedom in Christ. And so I ask you to rise here in the midst of the people. As your master, I declare the truth. You only have one master. I grant you your freedom from ownership. And I declare that you are my brother in Christ. May we both serve our master together as pastors. And now I ask you, Onesimus, would you do me the favor of reading today's sermon, the letter of Paul to the Colossians? Amen. This table is the embodiment of all the wisdom of Philemon, the reconciliation between God and humanity. Humanity, this runaway, hating, stealing, conniving entity. All of our hearts have pieces of that brokenness of our own humanity. And yet here, we get to come together to meet God and be reconciled to him, to have his love poured out on us, his forgiveness given to us. Not only that, it's also the place of koinonia. It's a place where we all sit together as a family and eat in partnership. Together we eat this meal. Together we serve God. Together we embody the good news of Jesus Christ. And I pray that today, as we 
participate in communion, that that would become real to us. Let's pray.